Today we start a brand new series in the Gospel of Luke. It's called Jesus in Plain Sight. You know, even when Jesus was doing his ministry and teaching and performing miracles and all that, a lot of people still did not recognize who Jesus really was. And we want to discover that as we go through these teachings together in a great gospel of the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke. So we're going to be talking about Jesus in plain sight. In fact, today's message is called New Wine is for New Wineskins. If you have your Bibles, it's going to be in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. Hey, I want to show you a graphic. This graphic, I don't know if you can see on the screen, but you see an animal right there in the middle of the background. You know what that animal is? It's an owl. An owl is a great hunter. It's a predator. And one of the ways that the owl works so well in its hunting is it camouflages itself like this. It hides in plain sight. And the animals that it's hunting can't see who it really is. If they knew who it was, there'd, there'd be some danger and they'd run away, but they don't really see it because the owl's hiding there. I think a lot of people, when they saw Jesus, Jesus came down as God in the flesh, the incarnation, born in a cradle in Bethlehem. Uh, but Jesus was also the Son of God, and a lot of people did not recognize who he really was. So Jesus uh, in his teaching and in his miracles, he does a lot of lessons to try to explain who Jesus really is. So Jesus does not want to hide who he really is. He wants us to see that he's the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And he's going to do these lessons to illustrate his identity to us. So let's dive right in to Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. So Jesus, he had many people in his own day that did not accept his identity as Messiah, as the Savior of the world. And they criticized him. And they compared him with the law of Moses and the teachings of Judaism. And they said, Jesus, you're not acting like a good Jewish man would act. And then Jesus would have to come back and say, yeah, that's because I'm bringing in the kingdom of God. I'm bringing in the new covenant. And it's going to be different from the old covenant. Jesus had plenty of critics in his day. And you know what? We've got plenty of critics in our day. And with the advent of social media, I mean, isn't it true? If you want to see the nastiest, vilest, most, you know, bile-filled comments that, that are out there, all you have to do is go to social media because people think they're anonymous. They can just hide. Things that they'd never say to somebody's face, they can just spew that venom and poison on social media. And we need to watch what we say. We need to guard our tongues like we've been talking about in the last series. So we've got plenty of critics today when it comes to reopening the church, right? We've got people all over the spectrum. You've got people on one side that are saying, hey, look, you can't open the church right now. If you reopen the church, you're going to be so reckless, you're going to kill grandma. Do you really want to kill people by reopening the church just so you can have your precious church service live? That's one side of the spectrum. Then on the other side of the spectrum, there are people who are, you know, these are the constitutional rights people. These are the First Amendment people. These are the people who say, you know, if we don't open our doors soon, we are cowering in fear. We're just bowing to the state. We are not exercising our First Amendment rights. We don't want to be too extreme on either side of the gamut. We want to do things circumspectly and prudently. We want to look to God and say, Lord, not what the state says, yes or no, but what are you telling us to do? When do you want us 
to reopen our church services live? And if so, how would we, how would we do that? So we want to uh, ask God. In fact, I'm asking you for your prayers for me and for our elders and our leaders so that we can make a wise, God-honoring decision as to when we are reopening the church. And you're going to hear more about that in the days ahead. Now let's go to the story of Jesus. First of all, when it comes to reopening our church, before I get to Jesus, let me, let me get to this. When will we reopen our doors, right? It sort of implies with the question, right, that, well, if you're going to reopen your doors, that means we closed our doors. Well, physically, the doors of the church building were closed, but the church never closed, right? All the way from March until now, our church doors have been open. We have done online ministry. We have reached people for Christ that we, we never could reach when we were gathering in person because they only started listening to us when they started looking up to God in this COVID crisis and they said, God, I need to get right with you. And they found us online through our ministry uh, with live streaming and things like that. So that's awesome. We've never closed our church doors. We're still feeding the homeless every single week, Monday through Thursday, Monday and Thursdays with the breakfast, all the way Monday through Friday with the lunches that we hand out to them. So we, we have never closed our doors. That's the good thing. But when we do reopen, we want to keep some values in mind. Number one, we don't want to endanger anyone needlessly. That's why, so when we gather again, it's going to look different than it looked before. We're going to have to gather again with social distancing, with physically staying apart from each other. There's not going to be any physical touch one to another. There won't be any hugs or handshakes or kisses uh, for the first uh, number of meetings that we have together. We just have to be careful that way, right? So in order not to endanger anyone needlessly. And then... Uh, the, the other value is we want to be a good witness to our community. We want to ask our question, how does the community see us as a church? Do they just see us, you know, charging ahead for our, our constitutional rights, even though we might be endangering people? Or do they see us practicing all the safe measures that keep everybody safe and we can worship God live together? That's what we want to do. So we want to, we want to keep our good witness to our community. We will keep on praying and we're going to trust God and he will let us know when it's time to reopen our doors. Amen? All right, let's go to that story that Jesus told in Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. One day, some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. So why aren't your disciples, why are you guys always eating and drinking? Do you see the criticism? In Judaism and when the Pharisees were there, and even John the Baptist and his followers followed this teaching, uh, they had fasting, and they had fasting as a means of growing closer to God and being more spiritual. And a good Jewish person in Israel in the first century would fast twice a week, twice a week on Mondays and on Thursdays. The context of this question to Jesus was, Jesus had just called Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him. And Matthew got so excited about following Jesus that he threw a party for all his friends at his home and he invited Jesus to this great banquet. And so they were feasting rather than fasting. My guess is it could have been on a Monday and a Thursday. And that's why the Pharisees came up to him and says, Hey, you guys are breaking the traditions here. Uh, what's going on? Why are you feasting and not fasting. And so Jesus had an answer for them, 
right? He's the son of God. Jesus never did anything wrong. Jesus was morally perfect. He never sinned. He always loved God with all his heart. Jesus always loved his neighbor as himself. So whenever Jesus is getting criticized like this, it's not because Jesus is breaking a law of God. He is just doing something different than the expectation of the religious leaders of his day. Just to recap, the religious leaders of Jesus' day asked this question. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? And you know what Jesus' answer was? He gave him an illustration of a wedding. You remember when Jesus did his very first miracle? It was at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and they ran out of wine. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, came to him and said they're out of wine. And Jesus said, woman, this is not my time to go public with being the savior of the world. And Jesus says to the, or Mary, Jesus's mother, she says to the servants, whatever he says for you to do, do that. That's good advice from the mother of Jesus. Whatever Jesus says to do, do it. And Jesus told him to fill up the water jars with water, and then he turned them miraculously into wine. Because they were celebrating at a wedding, and they had a lot of wine. Wine was used for celebration and joy, times of joy in the lives of, of the Israeli culture. So Jesus gives this illustration, and he talks about him being the bridegroom at a wedding. And he said, you don't fast when you're with the bridegroom at the wedding celebration, that's not the time for fasting. That's the time for feasting. In the book of Wisdom, the book of Ecclesiastes, it says there's a time for mourning. There's a time for fasting, but there's also a time for feasting. There's a time for celebration. And Jesus says, as long as I am with you, it's time to party. It's time to have a feast and not a fast. So Jesus says that, and then Jesus tells two more illustrations. One is a sewing illustration, and one is a, another illustration using wine. Can you imagine that? Jesus gave him this illustration. He said, no one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. What happens if that happens? He says, for then the new garment would be ruined. And why? Because when the garment is washed, the new patch of the new clothing would shrink and it would tear the old garment and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. So Jesus says, you guys know this from, from sewing. You don't take the, the new and try to blend it in with the old on, when it comes to a piece of clothing. It won't work. You've gotta have the new with the new and the old with the old. And he says the same thing about wine and wineskins. Jesus says, and this is what we're really gonna focus on this today, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Why? For the new wine would burst the wineskins, they would spill the wine and ruin the skins, right? So Jesus is saying, you wanna preserve the, the new wine in a new wineskin. You try to put the new wine in the old wineskin, it's just gonna burst. Matthew, in his gospel telling that story, he says it the same way. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. And so Jesus reiterates it and he says, new wine must be stored in new wineskins. Now, if Jesus is telling a parable, which is a story like a, a earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and Jesus is the Messiah, he's the son of God and he's bringing the kingdom of God, then what do you think Jesus is getting at? What do you think he wants us to understand about his kingdom as being new wine? So let's start with a really basic observation. 
Jesus is the one who gives new wine, right? Just like he did in the wedding at Cana of Galilee. Do you remember what the wedding host said at that wedding? He, he tasted the wine that Jesus had converted from water miraculously, and he said, wow. He said, normally in a wedding, people serve the best wine first, and then everybody gets a little, you know, tipsy, and they don't, their taste buds get a little dull, and they don't even notice the quality of the wine after that. But he says, in this case, you have saved the best wine for last. And so he applauded the, the hosts of the wedding and they saved face and Jesus did this great miracle and people started to believe in him. Wow, you really are the son of God if you can do miracles like that. Jesus gives new wine and here's the other observation. He wants to pour that new wine into you. He wants to put himself, his spirit into your heart. And when that happens, sorrow is going to turn to joy. Uh, frustration is going to turn to hope. We're, there's so many great things that Jesus is going to bring into your life. But the question is, remember what he said in the, in the illustration? He said, new wine needs to go into new wineskins. And so the question for you is, are you ready to receive it? Are you ready to receive the new wine that Jesus has for you and your life? That brings us to the second point. The second point is that if you and I, if we are just old wineskins, it says old wineskins cannot handle the new wine, right? What's the point of the new wine? Remember Jesus said uh, the new wine would ferment and it would, the gases that come up from that new wine, it would expand the wineskin. The wineskin needs to be able to stretch. It needs to have some elasticity. It needs to be able to grow a little so it can accommodate the presence of the new wine. That's the trouble with the old wineskin. The old wineskin is stuck. The old wineskin doesn't stretch anymore. Therefore, the old wineskin is in danger. If the new wine tries to go in the old wineskin, it's not gonna work. It's gonna burst the old wineskin. And then the wine and the wineskin is gonna be ruined. And Jesus doesn't want that. So if we're gonna follow Jesus' teaching here and see ourselves as a proverbial wineskin, we need to be adaptable. We need to be flexible. We need to be ready to accept and, and flex with the changes that Jesus is going to bring when his kingdom comes in our lives. There, there have been lots of studies. This comes from a business study, uh, and it comes from uh, when new companies would either take over old companies or two companies would merge together, and there would be some changes in the corporate structure, and uh, researchers have observed how people respond to change. So the question is, as either you being a new wineskin or maybe still an old wineskin, trying to figure out how to adapt to changes, how adaptable are you to changes? There, the studies basically show there are five different camps of people and their response to change, right? The first group is, these are the early innovators. These are the guys that try something new all the time. These are the guys that stood in line in 2007 or 2008 when the iPhone first came out and they waited two hours at the store to get that brand new iPhone because they saw the wave of the future and they said, we've got to get in on this, right? And everybody else was like, man, how much does that thing cost and what can it do? And I've already got a phone and you know, what's the deal, right? So. That, that's an illustration of, of how the early innovators would just take off and they'd embrace the new right away. 
Well, then there's a second group, and they're, they're called the early adapters, about 13% of the population. These people are maybe not, they're maybe not as fast out the gate as the early innovators, but they don't take very long before they see all the benefits of the changes that are happening. And they embrace the change and they go for it and, they, and they're the kind of people that you're looking for. Leaders in churches that are, that are introducing change for the better, they're always looking for people like this, the early innovators and the early adapters to say, we're on board, let's go, let's build the kingdom of God and it's gonna have to look different than it looked in the past because what worked in the past isn't necessarily gonna work in the present. What was relevant on what we did in the past may not be relevant to the people we're trying to reach in the present. So we need to be able to adapt and to change and to innovate. And then the third group, notice the, the third group and the fourth group, these are the largest groups, right? 34%, so one-third and one-third. Two-thirds of the people are slower to join. One group are the slower joiners. They're the ones that say, you know, I, I don't want to make a rash decision. I need to study the evidence. I need to, to process the information. I need to figure it out for myself. And then, over some time, they're going to join in and embrace the changes. And then the fourth group, they're more reluctant. Uh, they are skeptical of the changes. They like things the way they were before. They're like, well, why do we have to change? What, what we're, we're, we were doing before, it was working fine. Why are you, why are you talking about making changes? And, the, and it takes longer for them to process, longer for them to accept the new realities and to become relevant for a new generation, right? So those are reluctant joiners. And then there's group number five. And I hope that you're not in this camp because this is the camp that is hard for any company, any corporation, any church, and these are the antagonistic resistors. These are the kind of people that says, you know what, I don't like these changes, I don't accept these changes, the way that I'm doing what I'm doing is fine, I want it the way I want it, and I'm not comfortable with any changes. So I, if you say we're gonna reach more people this way, if you say these changes are gonna be uh, more beneficial to our church, both the church that we have and the online community that we're trying to reach, I'm not gonna accept them at all. So the antagonic, antagonistic resistors they're the ones that are difficult. They were the ones that were so difficult for Jesus because no matter what Jesus did, living a moral, perfect life, sinless, always loving God, always loving his neighbor, and yet they were always looking for something to criticize because whenever Jesus introduced the new, they were there to say, we don't like it, we don't want it, and you're wrong for doing it, and if you're gonna introduce this new thing, you really can't be the son of God anyway. They were antagonistic resistors, and Jesus uh, had a very difficult time for him. If you want to, if you want to see how Jesus dealt with the antagonistic re resistors, go ahead and read Matthew twenty-three. It's a real eye-opener. Now, here's the third part. So the old wineskins, remember part two, can't, they can't handle the new wine. So what is necessary for the new wine to come in? and to ferment and to develop into the new wine that it's supposed to be, it has to be in a new wineskin. It has to be in a wineskin that can adapt and flex and grow with the changes. And people that are new wineskins, these are the people that are characterized by new godly desires. Man, I just love God so much. I love people. I wanna tell everybody 
that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and I have found new life in him, and I want the whole world to know, right? New wineskins, you're growing, they're changing, they're saying, Jesus, you don't want me to live this way anymore, you, want, you don't want me, me to be mean to my neighbors, my family, you don't want me to drive like an ogre on the road, you want me to be kind and loving to other people, okay, help me with your Holy Spirit, but I'm embracing the change because what I have in you is new life. And Jesus gives you new godly desires and purpose. He fills your life with joy. He makes you gracious to other people. He, he expands your love, not just for the, your own circle of friends and family, but for all of humanity, to love your neighbor as yourself. And he changes your priorities. And he teaches you what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's a new wineskin. That's the kind of people that we want to be. You know, the prophet Ezekiel, 600 years before Jesus came to Bethlehem as a baby, Ezekiel was in exile with God's people, and he uh, got a prophecy from God, and he shared it with God's people. And he said that when the new covenant comes, when God sends Messiah and brings the new covenant, here's what's going to happen in the lives of God's people. He says that God will give you a new heart, God says, I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, the one that just won't deal with changes, the one that can't accept anything different than the way it was before or what you're comfortable with. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and I will give you a tender, responsive heart and I will put my spirit in you. Wow, what a great place to be as a member of the new covenant. As Seeing yourself as Jesus, make me like a new wineskin to be, to be able to handle the growth and the changes that are going to take place when your new wine comes into my life. So we come down to the, la to the last question, and this is, this is the bottom line. This is one of those gut check questions where you have to really look yourself in the mirror, where you have to come before God, and you say, God, help me to be who you want me to be. Help our church to be who you are calling us to be, and you ask yourself the question, what kind of wineskin are you? Are you gonna be a new wineskin, or are you gonna be an old wineskin? Because here's the troubling attitude, and Luke adds this at the end of this parable. In fact, Luke is the only one of the authors that adds this. Luke says these words, that, uh, quoting Jesus, he says, but no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine, right? If People that are stuck in their ways and they're comfortable where they are and they're not, they're not thinking about other people and whether what they're doing is relevant and it's going to actually reach people. Uh, they're, they're staying in their old ways. They're drinking the old wine and they said, you know what? The old wine is fine. I don't need the new wine. You can have it. Go, to, go find somebody else. The old is fine, they say. Jesus doesn't say, oh, and these people are great. These people are in a right relationship with God. These people ought to be commended by God. No, Jesus says it kind of as a sad commentary of old wineskins who won't accept the changes that Jesus brings. Look at the old wine, right? What would be characteristic of somebody who would be termed in the metaphor old wine, right? Uh, in Jesus' day, <clears throat> certainly illustrated the difficulty with which the Jews would accept the new covenant. <clears throat> Jesus comes in with the kingdom of God and he says there's a new way of doing things, there's a new way of living, and I want you to embrace the new way, follow me. And there were people that says, we already have our covenant of Moses. 
We already have our laws. We already have the Torah. Jesus, we don't need anything new. So if you're not gonna, if you're not gonna affirm the old that we already believe in, then get out of here. And so there's a difficulty that a lot of religious people have with accepting Jesus in the kingdom of God. Then there's number two. There's the inner resistance that every person faces. You face this, I face this, when it comes to change. You know, my favorite joke about change is, the only person who likes change is a wet baby, right? Because they're the only ones that, that see the, the exact, you know, immediate benefit of having a change of their diaper. But most of us resist when we see change being introduced, when we see a new way being introduced, most of us have an immediate resistance to it because we're fearful of the, of the unknown. We don't know what it's going to bring. We don't know the consequences of it. We don't, even, we don't see what the benefit could be of the new change. But Jesus says, I want you to embrace the new change. I want you to be a new wineskin. The person who's, who's just stubborn and says the old wine is fine, I don't want to try the new wine anyway, the attitude says, you know what? My mind is made up. I'm not stretching anymore. I'm set in my ways. And you know what? You can't teach me anything. Wow, have you ever met somebody like that? Have you ever tried to introduce a, a scripture to them or a, a, the Christian faith or anything that is something different than what they already believed in? There are just some people that are determined to be stubborn resistors. And they're going to stay, stick with the old wine. They're going to be an old wineskin. And Jesus says he can't put the new wine into an old wineskin. So here are some action points for us today, right? New wine, new wineskins. Jesus is the new wine. We are going to be the new wineskins, right? So we need to keep doing what we were talking about the last two weeks with gathering together God's people and praying and asking the Holy Spirit to awaken us, to bring revival, to grow us closer to God, to give us a heart and a burden for our community so that God would help us reach this community around us for Christ in this, not just in the COVID season, but coming out of the COVID season, right? Then also we need to prepare our hearts. You need to prepare your heart for changes that are coming when we are allowed to go back to church. What would be some of the changes? I mean, the church that we're coming back to, it's not going to look the same. It's not going to look the same as it was back in March when we met in person, right? We're going to have to practice physical distancing. We're going to have to stay six feet apart. We're not going to be able to physically hug and touch each other like we were before. We're not going to be able to hold hands with each other and pray. We're not going to be able to pass the communion trays and pass the offering plates like we did before. But we can still manage to worship God. We may not even be able to uh, sing a bunch of songs together when we first come back together. There may be some changes and limitations, but the point is we're going to come back together as God's people. We're going to proclaim Jesus. We're going to worship him together and we're going to and we're going to enjoy the fellowship of gathering and doing all those one another's that they cause us, right? So, let we're going to get excited. We want to get excited about Jesus. We want you to be able to share your story of what God's been doing in your life and how you've been growing. We want you to be able to say, hey, there is a new church. There's a, there's a, a new community here at Sebastopol Christian, and we have a church that will eventually be able to meet in person, 
and we'll still continue to have an online church community like we've been having for these last 10 or 11 weeks. And that's going to be exciting. In fact, if you get excited about that, you can share the link to sebchristian.com with your family members, with your friends, with your neighbors, with your online friends, and point them to us so they can find new life in Jesus. They can find out that he's the new wine, and they can be a new wineskin, and they can receive eternal life when they come to Christ. Jesus said these words. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. When we follow Jesus, we, we understand that he is the way back to God. He is the pathway we find back to a right relationship with God. He is the truth. He is the one person that totally corresponds to reality. We see life as it really is through the eyes of Jesus' life and through his teachings. And then he says, I'm the life. He is the life because he is the resurrection and the life. That even though they put him to death on a cross, Jesus didn't stay dead. He conquered sin and death when he was raised from the dead on the third day, seen by hundreds of witnesses, including the apostles. And we have the privilege of reading the account of Jesus' life and teachings even today. So we see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's totally worth our loyalty and our faith and the priority of our life to follow him. Jesus said these words, follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. That's what we're gonna be doing at Sebastopol Christian Church. As we follow Jesus, we're gonna become fishers of men and women and children and pointing them to Jesus as the way and the truth and the life. Now, what about you? As you've heard these words today, as you're understanding who Jesus really is, Jesus in plain sight, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Savior of the world, that he wants to be your Savior, are you ready to respond to him today? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, I recognize today that you are the way and the truth and the life, that you have the pathway back to a right relationship with God. And so today, Lord, I'm turning away from my old life. I'm turning away from my old way of thinking and doing things, and I'm putting my trust in you. I believe in you, Lord Jesus. I believe you're the savior of the world. I believe that when you died on the cross, you were paying for my sins as well. And so I accept you into my life. I invite you to come into my life, to be my savior, to be the leader of my life, and help me to follow you all the rest of the days of our lives. Lord, for all of us, as Jesus, you are the new wine and you wanna pour yourself into new wineskins. Lord, help us to, to be adaptable, to be flexible, to handle the new wine as it grows and changes and builds the kingdom of God in us and through us to a community that needs to know who you really are. Help us to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.